0: I told you back when they were saying it during the course of the campaign that a Biden administration, a Biden-Kamala Harris administration, if it got into office, would go after energy and would ban energy production in this country or sharply restrict it. They would go after fracking, even though they decided they wouldn't. And no one believed me. Well, maybe you folks believe me, but most people in the media uh, try to promote the notion that uh, this was Not true that they were going to be energy friendly. But now we see with this sheaf of executive orders, these 40 plus executive orders given in a little over two weeks' time since he's been inaugurated, from the man who said that governing by executive orders is not the proper way to govern, but is the method of a dictator, not a democratically elected, democratically serving president. This was Joe Biden. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so in one of three ways. Subscribe either in the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, depending on whether you use an Apple or Android device. And in either of those two places, you can simply download the free Podbean app, and you can subscribe that way. When you subscribe, you'll be guaranteed to be notified of every new broadcast that we upload. Simply search for the NPO podcast and you'll be in business. Also, you can follow our Facebook page, and please, wherever you subscribe or however you subscribe, please leave a review. Please leave a few nice comments, even if it's a sentence or two, because the more positive reviews we get, the more easily, the show comes up in search results when people go to the Google Play Store, or the iTunes App Store, or Podbean and search for news commentary of a conservative nature. So we thank you if you would please do that. So, does anybody remember back during the vice presidential debate? There was only one. Uh, there usually typically is only one vice presidential debate the president's uh, presidential candidates usually have 3 but the vice presidential debate which featured uh, the then current vice president mike pence against kamala harris covered a variety of topics one of them was on energy and kamala harris said something which earned her the ire of uh, of alejandro ocasio cortez saying that um, she was very critical of Kamala Harris's representation that Joe Biden would not ban the controversial and environmentally controversial at that process of fracking. Now, fracking is a way where we have produced a tremendous amount of energy for this company, and I will get into that in greater detail, but see if these words from then-candidate Harris sound familiar to any of you. First of all, I will repeat, and the American people know, that Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. Well, apparently it was only a fact for a short period of time because the president, Joe Biden, uh, is doing just that. In this article here from the Epic Times which you can read, and it's been quoted in other places. The Biden administration, I'm going to pull some quotes here and read some selective spots from the article. The Biden administration has clamped down hard on energy and oil as part of its climate change agenda, but experts warn that the president's recent actions will have long-term impacts on production and the economy. It will also mean more dependence from imports. Now, I've said before, Donald Trump, whether you like it or not, made the United States energy dependent for the first time in my lifetime. And I've been around for a while. Uh, apparently, we have not been uh, energy independent since 1957. In case you haven't looked at a calendar lately, it is now 2020. That's over 63 years. It's a long time to be beholding to despots and desert rats in third world countries in the Middle East. President Joe Biden issued a slew of executive orders, including freezing new oil or natural gas leases and drilling permits on federal land, as well as canceling the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. So in typical Democratic fashion, they're not specifically saying we will outlaw fracking. They're just going to prevent you from getting access to the land where you would frack that's kind of a way to do it. It's kind of like a left-handed compliment or a left-handed way of backslapping slapping you. They're not going to ban the practice outright. We're just not going to allow you to do anything with federal lands, whether it's fracking, whether it's waving a magic wand. We're not giving you a lease to take any oil or gas out of federal lands. We don't care how you do it. Now, I guess they can't ban it in private land. So we'll have to see what happens. During the Obama administration, if you recall, they talked about how American energy production had started to climb. Well, it was through no help from Joe Biden or Barack Obama. All of that growth during the Obama administration took place on private land. And Obama didn't want to push the envelope too much where he actually banned the methods by which people could mine these things on private land. He did what he could do that he thought he could get away with safely, and that was to simply ban the practice or not allow people to lease federal lands to do these things. And that is what Biden is doing now. If no new leases are granted on federal lands and waters. The hydrocarbon production from the these areas will decline, according to Paul Balmer, senior lecturer of petroleum and geosystems engineering at the University of Texas, and he knows something about oil. Quote, So will the revenue to the federal and state governments by way of taxes and royalties. Employment in these areas will also go down. This is dire for those areas and people employed in those areas. If demand goes up, Bomber said the private sector could improve production through drilling and completing new wells on private and state-controlled land and waters, which I just said, assuming the federal freeze stays in place. But in states such as New Mexico, half of all the state's oil and gas production is on federal land, so a state like New Mexico would be hit extremely hard by these executive orders by Joe Biden, meaning the workers and the companies will be forced to relocate to states with more private land. In addition, while all this is going on, our great friends in Saudi Arabia this month have pledged additional voluntary oil output cuts, which will send the oil prices to the highest rate in nearly a year. Since this schmuck has gotten into office, we've already seen the price for a gallon of gasoline here in my home state of New York increase by more than 35 cents a gallon on average. That's a big, big hit. Now, if the executive freeze is extended, it will have major impact on production. The loss of fracked oil, quote, the loss of fracked oil and gas from public lands will mean dependence on more imports. There is nothing in the pipe to make up for a large decrease in oil and gas production. And when they say pipe, they're using it as a figure of speech. They're not talking about the Keystone um, XL pipeline because that is no more. Now, fracking accounted for 67% of natural gas production and more than 50% of domestic oil production in 2015. Read those numbers? That's how much we were dependent on fracking, and that's before Obama started letting it being done on federal lands. Trump had to do that. In 2016 hydraulically fractured horizontal wells accounted for 69% of oil and natural gas. That's a 19% increase in terms of oil produced by fracking in the United States once Trump started to get into office. In 2019, the United States became energy independent, as I said, for the first time since 1957, according to the Institute for energy research. US energy production in that year, 2019, was higher than US energy consumption for the first time in 62 years. Read that again. US energy production in 2019 was higher than US energy consumption for the first time in 62 years. Total U.S. energy production increased by 5.7% in 2019, while U.S. energy demand fell by nine-tenths of 1%. So in 2020, quoting from the article, the United States exported more crude oil and petroleum products than it imported on an annual basis for the first time since this data has been collected, and this data series has been collected as far back as 1949. That's pretty damn good. Now, Biden's order to freeze oil and gas leasing has resulted in multiple lawsuits. We'll see how these go. There's one, I think, coming to fruition or on calendar um, that was filed January 27th in the district court in Wyoming, um, saying that the president exceeded his authority and It says here the law is clear. Presidents don't have authority to ban leasing on public lands. All Americans own the oil and natural gas beneath public lands, and Congress has directed them to be responsibly developed on their behalf. Alliance President Kathleen Sagma said the Washington Times reported drying up new leasing puts future development as well as existing projects at risk. And Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott Greg Abbott is also getting into the act. And I'm sure the attorney general down there will also get into the act. So already, this guy is wreaking havoc with the energy sector after his vice president once again said that they will absolutely not ban fracking. Now, for those of you who want to hear it again, we will play it for you again. I don't want you to miss this because it is sweet. Here it is. In case you missed it the first time, listen to it again. First of all, I will repeat, and the American people know, that Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact. So it was a fact up until they got into office, and we now know it is no longer a fact. It is a fact that it is gone. Fracking, if Joe Biden has his way, will be no more. He also got rid of the lease for the Keystone Pipeline. So I want to say hello real quick to our patriotic friends in the great state of South Dakota, a state I would like to move to. I'm very attracted to the idea that there's no income tax in your state of a state nature. And you have a great governor who didn't buy into all this COVID-19 nonsense, no masks mandate, no social distancing uh, and the like, no six feet. And I think that's great. Uh, So I wanted to talk a little bit about the Keystone Pipeline. Now, the Keystone Pipeline, for those of you who don't know, it starts in the province of Alberta, Canada. And it follows a very, very, very long route. Now, there's existing Keystone pipelines that's already been built, but there's additional, uh, the XL pipeline. It's like an extra pipeline. The, the current one starts in Alberta, Canada, goes south, turns into Saskatchewan, which is the other province, goes across Saskatchewan until it gets into Manitoba right near the city of Winnipeg, which is the most populous city in the Canadian province of Manitoba. And that is directly north of the state of North Dakota. And then it turns due south, and it runs through North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, and ends near the Gulf uh, in Texas, near Houston. And it bifurcates into two depositories. The Keystone is also another uh, arm that takes off once the pipeline hits the Kansas border, and it shoots over through Missouri uh, and into Illinois, and it empties there for to another refinery uh, area. The XL pipeline is going to sort of parallel that line to a, to a point, but instead of making that sharp 90-degree turn to the left and going through Saskatchewan and Manitoba, this pipeline goes virtually down at less than a 45-degree angle cuts briefly through Saskatchewan and crosses into the United States in Montana. And it's supposed to go down through Montana, then through South Dakota. It never touches North Dakota, then into Nebraska, then it turns due south, goes through Kansas, and then it joins up where that second major 90-degree turn is, where the original Keystone Pipeline goes from Kansas over to Illinois. This is to provide additional oil uh, to get to where it needs. So we increase the supply. Now, in addition to the workers who are going to lose their jobs that are actually working on the pipeline, think about all of the collateral jobs that are going to be lost from this. Those workers have to have places to stay. They have to have places to eat. They have to have uh, places to do laundry, other services that all emanate from uh, support services for people that are doing work, work, and they're going to be migrating throughout the states because as the pipeline construction gets completed in one location, they have to continually move. There's a lot of collateral jobs that are going to be lost. Uh, The Times also has an article about the Keystone XL pipeline cancellation, how it impacts more than jobs. Uh, This cancellation is made a tough year, more difficult. And they follow the story of this one particular worker who's emblematic of the struggle being faced by all of these people, one Carter Knox. He's supposedly a fourth-generation pipeliner, so he comes from a family of people who've worked on pipelines, who says it's not just about job loss. He says it's not really a question of whether or not that we're what we're going to do in our lives. It's more so this is the family trade. It's in our blood. He started welding and practicing at six years of age, and he got his union book a month after graduating high school. Now, his last Pipeliner job had finished in January of 2020, then the pandemic hit. He's 22 years old now, and he stayed in his hometown of Corinth, Kentucky, and he had to tap into his retirement savings to feed his family, including his three-year-old son. He was hoping to be able to work on the Keystone XL pipeline in the spring before Biden's presidential executive order rescinded the permit on January 20th, 2021. He wasted no time. He did it on his first day. And that was already a short day because it doesn't take over till 12 noon. Now, he's a member of the Pipeliners Local Union 798, which has gotten that pipeline job, the Keystone XL Pipeline. It's a very prestigious local union, apparently, according to Knox. The members pride themselves as the most extensively traveled and are the very best of the best. Since the union standard is very high, they take responsibility for the end product, no matter the reason. But now these guys are out. And there's four types of men who work on the pipelines. You have welders, operators who operate on machinery, the teamsters who are the truck drivers, and the laborers who help on the ground. And according to this article, a typical career path involves starting as a laborer, then progressing to an oiler, Someone who oils the machines before operators work on them, then earning a seat to run a piece of machinery, and then moving on to be perhaps an assistant foreman to run the crew. It takes 30 or 40 years to be very good at it. So this is a life's work. And how are you going to get people to commit to a, a, a vocation, a very necessary trade? when it takes 30 or 40 years to be very good at it to climb the ladder, if there's no guarantee that that ladder is going to be without rungs within five years' time. People aren't going to do it, okay? It's not, it's seasonal, it's a seasonal job, but it's not temporary because these things come back every season, okay? They go back to their hometown in the winter when the environmental conditions make it too difficult to work on the pipeline, and then they come back because they work for a very good wage when they are working, and they're able to do it. But now, they're not able to do it. Now, pipeline jobs pay around $100 per hour for a welder. That's a lot of money. Even in here in New York, where I live, where the cost of living is higher and making $100,000 a year may sound like a lot of money to people living in, say, Oklahoma or Kansas or Nebraska. But believe me, if you're living in the city of New York and Manhattan and you're making $100,000, you're not living very, very large when you consider what it costs. Just to give you an example, if you have a pickup truck, which is considered an oversized vehicle in New York, and you want to park it in a garage on a monthly basis, where you get the best rate possible, it probably costs you about 550 to 600 dollars a month to park that truck. That's just to park it. We're not talking about what it costs to buy it or what it costs to insure it. And we're not even addressing the issue of rent, food and other things that are necessities in life. So 100 dollars an hour would be considered decent money even here. But it's certainly good money for people living out in the heartland of America. Now, if you think the loss of these jobs is just something to be poo-pooed and that people oh, we'll retrain you to do other things. Really? What are you going to retrain them to do? What exactly are you going to retrain them to do? And regardless of what you retrain these people to do, how are we supposed to come up with all the oil that was going to be delivered from this pipeline? Right now, AmericanPipeliner.com estimates that between eight and 11,000 jobs were lost directly due to the cancellation of the pipeline. And that's just the jobs on the pipeline itself. What about these collateral industries that I mentioned earlier? The support industries, the food service industry, the hotel industry, all these other places. They're also going to be affected. I find this whole thing of canceling The means by which we get energy that we need, very interesting given the green agenda that these people want to pursue. Now, what's a big part of the green agenda? We're not allowed to drive anymore. They don't want us to drive cars. Well, you can, but they can't burn gasoline or diesel. They have to be electric. And we know electric cars are very clean, they're magic. We just turn them on and they go. Oh, but they have to be charged, don't they? Well, how do you think they make that electricity? You think you just plug in and magically the electricity flows in from the outlet and plugs into your car and charges the battery? No, that electricity has to be generated. And it's generated through power plants. And what fires those power plants? Well, in this country primarily fossil fuels, gas, and oil. Primarily natural gas and some coal. There may be very few oil plants, but majority is natural gas and the next most... Uh, common is coal. They don't just burn hard coal. They pulverize the coal into like a a fine powder. So when they inject it into the burner, it burns almost like a, a, a gas that makes it much cleaner. But it's still a fossil fuel. Now, there is a way to generate electricity with existing technology that would allow for the production of electricity at the same robust level that we have it now. That wouldn't cause any CO2 or any greenhouse gases to enter the environment. It's called nuclear energy. And none other than Jimmy Carter, back in the 70s, president of the United States, was a big proponent of nuclear energy because he was a nuclear physicist. It was the one thing that he did know about. And it's funny, this man who was the go-to guy by all the media, when they want to criticize a current president, they go to the guy who couldn't get anything right when he had the job. Uh, but they neglect to ever ask him about this one topic on which he was correct. And the Greens back then, or the anti-nukes, the no-nukes people, as they were called, they fought tooth and nail. He was a weak president, and we never got the abundance of nuclear power plants that we should have had in this country. Instead, the Canadians, taking advantage of us, built a host of nuclear power plants along their border on the northern part of the United States border just on the other side, and we get a lot of power from them. So it's okay for us to patronize nuclear power plants as long as they're located in Canada, a few miles from the U.S., but we can't have them here. Now, I know people get bent out of shape of nuclear energy, but if you're really that armored against fossil fuels and you hate oil and gas that much, you should be looking at nuclear energy. In In the United Kingdom, they take all of the spent fuel rods from their uh, Nuclear-generated power, and they store them in a 49 by 49 foot room down below ground in one location. You know exactly where it is. You can protect the room. You can limit any dispersion uh, dispersion of radiation. You can keep it locked in with a lead-lined room, and you don't know where. You know exactly where it is. Once you burn fuels and it goes into the atmosphere, which I'm not against, but I'm just playing uh, devil's advocate here. You have no control over where it goes. It's dispersed throughout the atmosphere. I think the risk is overblown. I think the benefits that we get from fossil fuels and natural gas is an extremely clean fossil fuel. Uh, The byproduct of burning it is just CO2 and water vapor. Uh, CO2 is a naturally occurring gas. I don't call it a poison. I don't think we lose anything by developing these things. And we're certainly employing a lot of Americans. And so now, it's it's no coincidence that South Dakota... Uh, which is one of the most prosperous states during this whole pandemic because the governor there, Kristi Noem, didn't buy into this nonsense with the masks and the social distancing and everything. And they overwhelmingly supported Trump. I find it more than coincidental that they canceled that pipeline the first day to make sure they hurt people in South Dakota. So there's going to be a continuing decline of jobs. Killing 10,000 jobs and taking $2.2 billion in payroll out of workers' pockets is not what Americans need or want right now, said Andy Black. He's the president and CEO of the American Pipeliners. In addition to the number of job losses, The economic impact on communities that Keystone would have gone through is huge. I've already addressed that when I talked about the collateral jobs. There's also a little piece here on demand and supply. It was unfortunate, quote, that the executive order rescinded our permit and our next steps are still being evaluated. We do believe the Keystone XL pipeline is important and would be the safest way to transport energy across North America, said Terry Cunha, spokesman for the Keystone XL developer, the TC Energy Company. Cunha told, uh, said that no material distance of the Keystone XL pipeline had been built within the U.S. uh, US border. After the permit was revoked in 2020 by a federal court in Montana, the first U.S. state the Keystone XL project would travel through, uh, TS Energy didn't build any key XL pipelines in the United States. It has proceeded with building the pump stations that ensure enough power to push the crude through the pipeline, while the immediate impact was about 1,000 construction jobs, the spokesperson confirmed that TC Energy had planned to employ 11,000 men and women throughout the Keystone XL pipeline construction. So, the the, the what would you call it the uh, the necessary preconditions for the construction of the pipeline, because oil, like water or any other liquid that flows through, can't just be pushed through a pipeline from one massive pump station or gravity feed over these thousands of miles. They have to have booster stations along the way to continue boosting the flow of oil. In addition, these pipelines have to be sleeved. They're double-walled and they're heated because if they're exposed to the great cold, the oil will thicken and will not flow. That's why the Alaskan pipeline, the famous pipeline, was so... uh, pooh pooed by the environmentalists is going to hurt everyone. We now know that the caribou love it because they calve under the pipeline because it's warm, and they have their baby uh, calves there. Well, the Keystone Pipeline was already employing people even before the actual pipe was being sent through because they were building these booster pump stations, which were employing people, and a lot more jobs were ready to shoot through the proverbial pipe this year as the actual pipeline itself was being constructed. All of this killed by Joe Biden. So, to my friends up there in South Dakota and elsewhere who've been affected negatively by this anti-energy administration, as they have revealed themselves to be in just the first two weeks, the sympathies of myself and everyone else here at National Preview Online go out to you. We will be continuing to cover this energy issue and other stories concerning the totalitarian manner in which this man seeks to govern by executive order, the very, very methodology that he roundly denounced when others employed it. And we will continue to defend you, your right to earn a living and provide for your families. Please subscribe and join us regularly. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.